0: Christianity is not just different, it is unique, it is uncommon. It's just not another religion amongst all the other religions. It is the way to God. But what's awesome is God's grace offers us all the opportunities and means to know Him and then receiving His grace... He invites us into an intimate relationship with Him that we can walk in the fullness of what He had designed for us in the first place. We talked about it last week about being all in, coming from Jesus' words to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All. But this all is more than just cleaning up a few things. It is literally a renovation, a transformation of your life. It's, it's more than just getting a few things fixed right. You quit doing certain things. It literally is a transformation Not just a formation, and we're all for spiritual formation. We believe in the disciplines. We believe in those things, and we teach those. But if formation is the only thing that happens in your life, not saying you won't live a productive Christian life, but you've missed so much of what God has in store because he wants to transform you. But he not only wants to transform you for your good, he wants to transform you that you will make an impact for the kingdom. He wants to transform you so you will be able to have an intimate relationship with him, that you could not have when, lack of a better way, the conduit or the pipeline or the avenue is clogged, if you will, is blocked. So as we've worked on this series over the last two months of Roots, we've come to a point where in many ways we will conclude that today. But as I said to you last week, if I could repeat one message over and over and over and never discounting coming to Christ as your Savior ever, so do not hear what I'm not saying. But if I could repeat over and over till I know that you got it, I would rather be boring, and you you may say, well, that's that's good. (laughs) But I would rather be boring and you get it than not say it enough times, and you miss it. (laughs) I would rather be so repetitive going, we've got it, and you finally just go, okay, we got it. Then you're saying, okay, now we're on to the next thing, because what I'm talking about here, there is no next thing if this is not understood. And more than just understood, Dallas Willard talks about knowledge in Scripture. Knowledge is not intellectual knowledge. Knowledge in Scripture is always experiential. That's the only way you know. The only way you know God is not because you've read enough and you've done enough research and you've come to the point investigating that you know it's have an intimate relationship with Him. Because you can have an intimate relationship if you have not done all that. I believe when I gave my life to Christ, I had an intimate relationship with Him so soon afterwards, it just kind of still blows my mind that it moved that fast. But intellectually, and I think I'm probably still challenged there, most of you know, it took me a long time to get all the right theology. what I knew right up front was I had fallen in love the best I understood with the creator of the universe and he loved me what I found out as time went on is he had a plan for me and the only way for me to walk in that plan to its fullness is to be open to him to fill me to His fullness. The question often when we talk about changing our lives, about God, I mean, many of you, you, like back in the day, I don't think many people were, I don't think many people pray this way way anymore, but back used to, in the years gone by, people were afraid to surrender their life to God because he may send them to where? Africa. Some of you are older in here, you would go, well, Africa, I don't want to go to Africa and be a missionary. Now, nothing wrong with Africa, they actually didn't want to go anywhere and be a missionary, okay? (laughs) But that's usually not what crosses most of our minds today. Is it, oh, well, now if I give my life fully to God, he's going to send me on the mission field somewhere. That's usually not what crosses our mind. Usually what crosses our mind today is, what's it going to cost me? (laughs) Uh, What's this going to cost me? But maybe the greater question is, not what's it going to cost me to do this, to follow after God. The other question is, what's it going to cost me not to? See, that's the thing we don't usually camp on very long. We we like to kind of count the cost. Scripture is very clear on that. We should. I think that's often what happens when we talk about the ladder and we talk about the God moving us to that next rung and that Henry Blackaby's, and I'll talk about that a little, little bit, but that crisis of belief, that, that point of going, well, should I? And the definition, I'll go ahead and give it now because I've already mentioned it, but the crisis of belief that Henry Blackaby talks about an in experiencing God. So we're not talking about a crisis in your life like an accident or a death. The crisis of belief is a turning point or a fork in the road that demands you make a decision. You must decide what you believe about God. How you respond when you reach this turning point will determine whether you go on to be involved with God in something god size that only He can do or whether you will continue to go your own way and miss what God purposed for your life. This is not a one-time experience It often is a daily experience. Roots. Roots are not just about the origin. Roots are about the stability. The roots of the canopy at that tree, the roots need to be as wide as the canopy is. And you've heard me say as we climb up this ladder, as God grows you and God moves you and God shakes you and God, as He does those things, what does He do? As I use this illustration, the stepladder, it gets narrower, right? You're more focused. It needs to grow. Your canopy of people, your canopy of, of understanding God, your canopy of, of, of the, or the, the roots better be strong. It's how we get lost in our journey with God. Why do we do communion? To remember our roots. To remember why we're even here in the first place. To remember the cost. To remember the sacrifice. But it's not just to go back and remember. And it is. I believe it's as much about going, march on. Get up. Let's go. The so two passages of Scripture we've been using as we'll close out, like I said, the series. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your life in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of, the glory, of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you. Again, back to roots and the origin and back to stability. He's going to strengthen you. If we could just continue to remember what our roots are. Both passages are about strengthening you with power through His Spirit. Going back to reading it. In your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. In other words, He comes and takes up residence in your hearts. He dwells. He takes over the whole thing through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all, the fullness of God. Why do I love teaching this? Because the passage right past this is, and to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond your imagination, and to Him. I just want to let you know there's more. There's just more. There's more than we do on the Barna's. Go back to, the, if you've got the Barna slide up there. Again, this thing always just kind of throws me off. When I see number five, and when I see that there, and I see that most people, if you, if you could read the small print down here, it says, among those who become born-again Christians, most never move past stop Five, they commit to church activities. They get camped out there. They go, and I appreciate what Jeff said about volunteers. And man, we need volunteers. It helps move the engine. It's part of the engine of what God is doing here and we will do in our community. But you can't substitute that for transformation. Can't do it. You can't substitute showing up for everything in a small group. You can't substitute that for choosing to surrender and submit fully to God, a radical dependence. You cannot substitute it. And expect to be anointed and be the fragrance and aroma wherever your foot sets down, something is different. People know when you show up, something's different. We need all of it. And there is a way. I've got good news. This is not a message about going, you getting motivated for something you can't have. The worst thing you can do is try to motivate people for something and not have a way to get there. James Bryan Smith says, he's talking about living this different life. He said, when people tell me I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I want to say that makes as much sense as a butterfly saying I'm just a worm with wings. That's it? That's all you got? If, again... If all I was trying to do when I gave my life to Christ on December 13th in 1986 was not go to hell, then I may just be a worm with wings. I've settled in on just a worm with wings. But what I found out as I began to continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness, that God just didn't want me to be a worm with wings. He wanted me to be, a a more. as Romans 12 12, says, transformed or morpho. From a caterpillar to a butterfly, that's what he wanted, returning back to the fullness of what he had for me in the first place. And when you get that, you begin to see why you'll never begin to work your way back towards the middle, just trying to stay on that side, just so I can stay in God's good graces. And I don't know how that works, obviously. But, but there's a saying we've said over and over, and I, I hope it takes a different turn today. Than we've talked about over the last few weeks, it's subtle till it's not, can be seen as a negative thing. No question. And it should be considered that. A little bit of sin here. A little bit of flirting there. A little bit of this here. A little bit of that over there. A little bit of this. A little bit of, you know, taking a little bit of liberty here. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, and all of a sudden something, boom. You go, how did I get here? But guess what? It works the other way too. This is good news. You just kept trying to make righteous choices. You kept trying to do the right thing. You kept trying to determine good from evil. And ask the Holy Spirit to let me walk in step with Him. Even though you didn't always make it right or perfect or it looked like it should, and you had to ask for forgiveness and got convicted. But those subtle decisions, and then one day, you go, how did I get here? Thank you, Jesus. John Wesley said, the founder of the Wesleyan teaching, and many of you know that that is our bent here. He just said, there's more to salvation than, one's run, that run, than runs hot or cold or makes you feel guilty most of the time. He said, by salvation, I mean not hardly deliverance from hell or going to heaven, right? Not hardly that, not just that. But a restoration of the soul to its primitive health. A recovery of the divine nature. The renewal of our souls after the image of God. in righteousness And true holiness and justice and mercy and truth. Now, wait a second, how could he get there? Well, Ephesians Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4 22 through 24. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, as we use the illustration over the last many weeks of of the natural man, the carnal man, or the worldly, or the, the nature you were born with, as Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 4. But he says, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I think John knows what he's talking about here. And what I love about this is that John Wesley's one of the things he's implying here is that almost no ceiling on the good things that can happen when you surrender everything to God. Wesley would go on to say the only barrier to the power of God to restore the human being to the image and likeness of God is the person's own resistance. The only thing. The only thing that keeps us, not circumstances, not where you were born, not a social class, none of that. The only thing that keeps us from being restored to the likeness of God in the way that he would want, the only resistance, and I, I agree with him, is Us. It's not you in my life. It's not what you've done in my life. It's not what you've, I, I, what you've, what you've caused in my life. It's not the circumstances. And no, the only thing that's ca- ca- keeping us from living into the fullness of God is us. That's why we, one of the hardest things about following Christ is that he and his spirit working in us will not leave that fact alone. The biggest issue that I've got in my life is dying out to the self-centered self. It's not you dying out to your self-centered self. That's not my biggest issue. Because when I die out to my self-centered self, I can love you regardless. But if I don't die out to my self-centered self, I'll love you based on what you have or have not done. That means you have control over me especially if you're somebody very influential in my life or somebody that means a lot. Now, you have control over my life because I don't know how to love you regardless of who you are, and I don't know how to just move on and put that in the, where it needs to be put instead of it being weighing on top of me when it shouldn't be because that's more your issue than it is mine in that sense. But I need to be figuring out how, Lord, do I dial to myself in the midst of all these circumstances because I realize that is my biggest issue. It is God's will that you be sanctified. To set apart, Wesley says, to be set apart for God's holy use. To be set apart. Sin's job, if sin had a job, you've heard me say it a hundred times here, if sin had a job, it is separation. It is separation from God, separation from others, and separation from your divine purpose. Sanctification is to be set apart, not separate to be set apart for God's use to live into your divine purpose to be a person of reconciliation, not a person who's separated. First Thessalonians 5:23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May you, your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to make sure you understand today that I don't believe entire sanctification is the final goal. I believe entire sanctification is just the beginning point of growth in your spiritual life. It is part of the lifelong step. It is that turning point. It is that stretching to begin to say, I am setting this aside. I am surrendering. I'm putting it all down. I'm consecrating it for your glory. Here it all is. It's for you to decide what to do with it. You just let me in on it, and I'll try to do it. Wesley went on to say, Salvation or forgiveness of sins is the porch. Entire sanctification is the door. But the house is full fellowship with God. Salvation deals with sins accrued. Ask God to forgive me. Sanctification deals with the very nature I was born with. Why I do what I do. Romans twelve, one and two. In view of God's mercies, brother, sisters, offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, or morpho, by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is God's will that you offer yourself, surrender, consecrate as a living sacrifice. As we've said often, many of us would be willing to die for our loved ones to step in front of a bullet or push them out of the way of the car and the car hit us, really the greater question is, are you willing to live for them as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, to be transformed? And the question becomes, is it possible? Can I only reach a point or I can just manage my past, my open wounds or strongholds or habits? Or can I reach a point where God changes me and I really am over it and I don't want it anymore? Can God just not only remove the garbage from it, can He remove the desire to eat the garbage? <laughs> can He really remove that desire to want to be there? Because I believe Scripture bears that out, that He can. I believe experientially he can. I believe watching other people's lives that he can. Psalm 51, 10, 12, King David, after Nathan had, uh, had confronted him about the sin in his life, and you can go back and read that. It's an unbelievable story, obviously, uh, those who know it. But David realizes That it's a slippery slope of only standing on God's forgiveness. And we all want God's forgiveness. But it's a slippery slope. Because if I'm just forgiven, sometimes I'll go right back and do it again. We know religions who say, okay, I'll ask for forgiveness here. Do a certain certain amount of things. And I'll go back and do it again. I'm not planning on changing. I just want to make sure I get it forgiven each week. Or each month. Or each whatever. David knew that was a slippery slope. Just created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain it, to continue. Created me a pure heart. David knew he just didn't need forgiveness. He needed a new heart. He needed to be renovated. Now about you years ago, get back to it it's subtle till it's not. Hebrews 12, 1. Since therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Back to resistance. I believe God is subtle on the things he wants to show us, and sometimes, boom, you feel the weight of it. He hints, he hints, he hints, and all of a sudden, boom, circumstances or whatever it is, you're dealing with it. For me, one of the big ones for me was alcohol. It was subtle. It was subtle. Yeah, I probably need it. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, then all of a sudden, one day, it was like, it, here it is. And it's almost this question that God came to me. go what are you carrying that for? You don't need to carry that anymore. Put it down. And for some of you, some of you it's going to be different things. It's going to be different things going, why do you keep? could be forgiveness for some of you. Why do you keep carrying that? One reason many times we keep carrying unforgiveness, because there's comfort in it. I've never known myself without that unforgiveness, so I don't know what I would be like if I got rid of it. Just so you know, other people would like you better. But uh, But man alive, would it set you free? So much about what God does is not logical. Forgiveness is not logical. But what an unbelievable gift of grace it is. It's when we let it go, we're set free. And you go, Kurt, how how do we end up there? The best illustration I have in understanding this is a house back to Wesley's been on this, and I'm very visual, so it helps me. But let's say you had a small living room or a foyer, if you will. I don't know. Some houses have them, some have them, but you just got an entryway, and let's say you're whole life, yours, not, not your wife's, not your kids, or if you've got those, or whatever, just you. And you accept Christ as your Savior, and you welcome, in this illustration, welcome Christ into your entryway and into your living room, small living room. But let's say you have another room back on the backside, the family room. You've welcomed Jesus in. Well, let's say back there in the family room, Jesus is in. I'd like to invite him over to the house. He's there. He's sitting in the living room. But then all of a sudden, Jesus smells all the food being cooked. And all of a sudden, here's the sons being played. his sons game's on in the back. And everybody's back there in the back just having a great time. But you never ask him to come back there with you. Would there be a point in that evening where he would begin to feel like, am I really welcome here? I know he welcomed me into the front door and he welcomed me into the foyer and he welcomed me into the living room. Okay, that's cool. But he's not welcomed me on into his fellowship. He's not welcomed me on to his recreation. He's not welcomed me into his job. He's not welcomed me into it. So is there a point where you begin to wonder, am I welcome at all? Because here's the complicated part about following Christ is he wants all of you. He doesn't want just a piece of you. He wants all of you. So what happens is, and for some of you, if you're like me, you have built rooms onto your house that never should have been on the house in the first place. Alcohol one was mine. Pornography was one of them. There were different things I had built. Anger was a huge one for me and jealousy and things of that nature. But God began, as I began to turn some, and then other things along the way that, for instance, I would just say this, and I'll come back to just this other part in just a second. There are things along the way that are amoral. And what I mean is they're really not a sin, but they become sins because of how much time we dedicate to it. In themselves, they wouldn't be classified as some of the things that that I just mentioned or some other things. They just, God goes, it's okay up to this point, but okay, Kurt, now that's not okay anymore because I need you to go do this. And it's what we talked about in the advanced series. As we we're going along and we begin to see what all we're carrying with us to take there, sometimes God goes, that, that was good then. It's just not good anymore. But the other part of that is, is that you got, if you go back to the house illustration of, of inviting God in, because I used to think being filled with the Spirit was a moment, and man, I would either kind of like pop in your head open, and the Holy Spirit would just pour in and fill your whole body, and all of a sudden you're filled with the Spirit, and you're ready to run everywhere, and you're ready to do everything, and, you're, and, and all that kind of stuff. But what I realized was it's a surrender. Some of you, fortunately, don't have as many rooms as other people have on your house. So you don't have to surrender every room all the time. There's many rooms. But you begin, as you begin to pray and consecrate and offer your body as a living sacrifice, you begin to open up every door of every part of the house. And you begin to not only open up every door, you open up every drawer and every closet. And Lord, I don't even know what to do with that. I've pushed that so far. I don't even know what to do with that. And you begin to unlock it all. But back to Wesley's thought. The biggest difference between living in the fullness of God and not is our individual resistance to it. We're not willing to unlock that door. There could be all kinds of reasons for it. Some of you only got one key that you need to throw on the table. Some of you have a bunch of them. And you need to take those keys to those rooms and those drawers and everything else and step back. Say Lord, they're all on the table. I'm taking my hands off. Because for some of you I would say today, you haven't hold of those keys, how's that been working for you? How's that been working for you? He wants all. like a mighty rushing wind to come in and stir my soul. I know when tornadoes come, you need to find shelter. I've seen, personally seen tornadoes. I live in some degree tornado alley in Arkansas. You did try to find shelter. But what I have learned is when a mighty rushing wind comes my way in the Spirit, I want to step into it, not try to hide from it. We ask Stuart and him to come as we close. I think you can be saved a week three days and have already done this. But you don't know what it is and you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know what to do with it. But I also think you can be a Christian quote-unquote 30 years and never have done this. And you wonder why. You wonder why I feel so capped as we talk about in our five. Why do I feel so capped? And we can talk about no, individual things, and we can, and I can say, well, let's talk about, it. let's talk through that, but the reality is, it's all going to come down to this one thing, have I given it to him? Doesn't mean you won't get professional help, doesn't mean you won't get life coaching, doesn't mean you won't have to work through some of those things, and you matter of fact, some of those you may have consequences to work your way out of, or may not ever work your way out of, to some degree. But I can guarantee you. If you don't give it to him, you're not going to work it out any better. That I can guarantee you. So why not? What if I'm right about all this? What if I actually did preach out of the Scripture today? Well, What if I did? Well, what if what I preach today is really true? What if it was? You ever thought about that? What if what that guy preaches up there is actually true? What would that mean for my life? Because I assume week after week you come here because you think I'm a man of integrity and at least I'm going to try to preach the best I can the truth. You would think that, right? You would think that. But what if I was preaching the truth? what if you said I'm done with my keys I'm done with my, from my health to my finances to my spiritual to my relationships to all those things to my job yeah, I've told people sometimes you don't need to change your job you just need to sh- start showing up for that job for a different reason because you're different a lot of the frustration you have in your life may not have anything to do with everybody else it has everything to do with you What if I was preaching the truth today? What if I was? What if I confound all that in Scripture? What if I could? Would it make a difference to you at all? Because I don't know. But if I could preach one message over and over, because I believe with all my heart it's rooted and established in love, it would be this message. That the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and live it abundantly to the full, to the max, the fullness of God. Would you stand with me? One of the things being a part of Wesleyan Church and Church of the Nazarene over the years that we've not gotten rid of are these pieces of furniture down here. Called altars. In themselves are not sacred places, just in themselves are not. I mean they're pieces of wood been painted. Got some Kleenex on the other side. But when we come as a place of consecration, as a place of laying it all down, taking our keys and putting them down every part of our life and going, God, I don't know what else to do. And I'm not even in a bad place in my life, but what I desire more than anything is to be all in. It is a place for you to come and lay that down, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. gonna well, pray for us, and Stuart's going to lead us in song, if the whirlwind is coming, if the mighty rushing wind is felt, this is not a time to hide from it. This is a time to step into it and let it wash over you and let it blow your word it blows you. Lord, we come for you today, for your people, believing there is there's more. The more than we could ask or imagine, your word says. Based on the power that is at work within us, and to be, to, for generations to come, we can live a life that has that kind of power. Today, Lord, I pray for our folks here. It may seem awkward, maybe you've never done it before, if they step out today doesn't mean they have to do it here, Lord, but sometimes when we take that one step publicly and we say, yes, it has a different significance. So, Lord, as we pray over your folks, that you would use this time as they come and as they pray around these altars for your glory, rooted and established in love, we pray this, Lord. Amen.